Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Whoops. All right. So do these these are just background or something? Okay. Yeah, the plan B. I'm like the um <clears throat> said that once or twice, but I'm like the the creepy girl in the ring. Like uh-huh. when I show up, like the the technology and the television starts starting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. behaving funny. My wife's like that. <laughs> I tried to FaceTime her last night, and it was ecstatic. And I go, your interference field with technology just prevents us from communicating. But are you a tech guy? I'm pretty tech savvy. I'm yeah. not, you know, like I don't know how to code or anything like that, but I probably, you know. You know your, my age group of people, you know, like I know more than most people. You know your way around a settings menu. A little bit, yeah. Not I know enough to screw things up and get in trouble. You know? <laughs> like I think I know more than I do, and then I end up creating problems. These are raw bars, by the way. What's that? Oh, cool. So it's like raw food. Oh, nice, man. I'll eat one when we're done. I don't want to be all kneeling. Every once in a while, the stars and planets are aligned, and I get the chance to meet up with one of the really big and interesting international names. Rich Roll is known not only for his immensely popular podcast, but also for being a plant-based ultra-endurance athlete. When he, together with his friend and coach, Chris Hoth, decided to take on the Air till Air Swim Run World Championship, I got the chance to sit down with Rich for a long talk at the Acast studio in Stockholm. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. Welcome to episode 24 of the Husky International Series. 
after the regular interview with which we were able to do a shorter summary of their Ötel Ö experience to complete the long pre-race interview I did four days before the race. This was recorded online after Rich made it back to LA. In case you missed it, I strongly encourage you to check out the Rich Roll podcast. Two of my favorite episodes are his own summary of Ertelö, but also his long and amazing interview with legendary alpinist Conrad Anker. If you want to know more about this, please head over to huskypodcast.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. So, um, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you. I'm sorry I was so late. Ah, uh, no worries. <laughs> like I said, you're not only a guest, you're also a jet lagged guest. I, uh, Even though you, you've tried to hack the system and work your way around it, but how is that working out for you? It's interesting. <laughs> I, I'm not sure you can cheat the circadian rhythm of the human body. I no. did my best to attempt it. So in the days leading up to coming to Stockholm, I started waking up earlier and earlier to try to adjust to the nine-hour time difference. So I started at four, worked my way to three, to two. And the day that I left to fly here, I got up at one o'clock in the morning And then I slept the entire 11-hour flight and woke up 30 minutes before landing. I think I slept like nine or 10 hours, despite a crying child two seats <laughs> to my left, uh, and woke up feeling great. And I thought, I've got this handled. This was fantastic, and it worked. And then last night, uh, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning thinking it was morning and puttered around my hotel room for a couple hours. So I don't think I quite licked it, despite my efforts. But you managed to get it, squeeze in a little swim run session yesterday didn't you yeah it was super fun uh uh mikael rosen who they call the rain man of swimming uh-huh. here in sweden and i believe he is the swedish uh national open water coach yeah picked me up from my hotel and we met two other guys uh niels and axel yeah and i we share swam office around. with niels oh, you actually. do cool yeah. oh yeah he was telling me yeah. <clears throat> so We did a little circumnavigation of that prison island called, what is it called? Langhorn? Longholmen. Longholmen. Yes, I'm still working on my pronunciation, <laughs> which is very bad, so forgive me. Uh, but that was great. Oh, my goodness. It was beautiful. I, I, I've never experienced swimming literally in the middle of a European city with yeah. the city backdrop behind us. It was truly magical. And there's no, that. like, syringes and... Uh... Right. You wouldn't do that in New York or you <laughs> no. know, most U.S. cities. No. Uh, so that was that was a treat. And what was really great about that also is just how forthcom- forthcoming uh, all of them were about their experience uh, competing in Attila. Yeah, How did perfect I pronunciation. Yeah, all right. yeah. I finally got it yeah, yeah. after after butchering it for months <laughs> on my own podcast. Um, so I learned a ton, uh, which is very helpful in helping me wrap my head around this crazy race. So you're not more stressed after than before? No, I'm excited. You know, I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself. I mean, I'm entering this event with uh, quite a bit of humility. You know, I have zero experience in swim run. I feel confident in my fitness and in my endurance base, but I'm well aware that I'm walking into an event uh, as somebody who who was invited as part of a director's choice. And Chris Houth, my teammate and my coach and I are going to be competing against uh, 
people who who have been doing this for a very long time and have a tremendous amount of experience with it. And I'm under no illusion, <laughs> you know, that that uh, we have our hands full with this. So we just want to go out and, and have a good time yeah. and, and hopefully be in the mix and be competitive and all of that. But but this is just about uh, enjoying the experience. We'll um, definitely come back to that later down the road. Um, I mean, you are, to say the least, you're you're a big name, you're a big profile, especially within the, uh, I don't know, the health endurance world. Not, I mean, within the US, of course, but also internationally, I would say. I don't know how big you are in Sweden, though, mm-hmm. yet you will be soon. I don't think very big. <laughs> <laughs> but but how, um, what is the, uh, like the elevator pitch description of uh, of yourself? Of what I do. I always struggle with how to answer this question when people say, what do you do? I suppose... Yeah. The catch-all phrase would be wellness advocate. Uh, I'm an endurance athlete, an ultra-endurance athlete. I'm an author. Uh, I wrote a memoir called Finding Ultra and co-authored a cookbook with my wife called The Plant Power Way. So I write books. Um, I'm a public speaker. I'm a recovering lawyer, attorney. (laughs) Used to be a a lawyer. Uh, And I'm a husband and I've got four kids. So I'm a family guy. Um, Mainly I'm a a passionate um, athlete. Uh, and I'm plant-based, which is a big part of my message as well. And I have a podcast, and my podcast is really about uh, casting a wide net and talking about all things related to essentially trying to uh, become the best version of yourself. So it's mind, body, spirit, emotional, as well as physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, that was, compared to the next question, that was an easy question, I think. <laughs> um, if you could, uh, uh, by like picking out a couple of defining moments of your life, what what brought you? Uh, what brought you here? Very interesting. There have been a couple very definitive moments in my life that have been crucial in leading me to where I am today and the opportunity to sit and talk with you. I think the first one. Uh, that's relevant is getting sober at age 31. A big part of my story and my history is drug and alcohol abuse and addiction. Uh, By the time I was 29, 30 and uh, early into my 31st year, I was really a a desperate uh, hope-to-die alcoholic, uh, the kind of drunk that starts drinking in the morning with a vodka tonic in the shower. Uh, and continuing throughout the day until I black out and wake up in strange places, not knowing where my car is, DUIs, getting arrested, and the like. And I finally hit bottom at age 31 after um, a pretty long, desperate, pathetic run that left me pretty alone and sad and lonely, uh, broken um, as an individual, and ended up going to a rehab in Oregon where I lived for 100 days. And that was the beginning of really trying to repair my life. So that was the first kind of critical moment. And everything that I get to do today is just a bonus. And as a result of getting sober and sobriety to this day remi- remains my number one priority. I think the second kind of definitive moment uh, was when I was 39, shortly before I turned 40, Uh, In that 10-year period or nine-year period after getting sober, I was so intent on repairing my life and and sort of getting back on top in this idea of pursuing the American dream that I really overlooked my 
my uh, my fitness, my wellness, my overall well-being. And so by the time I was 39, I was 50 pounds overweight. I don't know how many kilos that is. It's like, like 20-something, <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, and really just an, uh, a very unhealthy person, uh, subsisting on fast food, working you know, 70, 80 hours a week uh, in my chosen profession of law. But more than that, kind of uh, depressed and unenthusiastic about my life, kind of a classic couch potato. Disconnected. Yeah, disconnected, not really um, passionate about anything. I mean, I was married and I had kids. I was, you know, from the outside looking in, it looked like my life was really great. Like I was successful in rebuilding my life as a result of getting sober. But, but on the inside, I still think I was quite lost. And that all came to a head shortly before my 40th birthday on – uh, a staircase walking up to my bedroom uh, late one night where I had to pause. I was winded. I was out of breath, tightness in my chest. And and this was alarming to me. I had been an athlete in college. I was a world-ranked swimmer at Stanford back in the 80s and still sort of considered myself to be an athlete. That's how denial works because if you were to look in the mirror, honestly, I didn't look anything like that guy that, that, that I was when I was 21. <laughs> yeah, uh, And that kind of snapped me out of my denial and made me realize that I needed to make some pretty significant changes in how I was living. And, and cu that culminated in adopting a plant-based diet and reconnecting with fitness um, as a means of self-exploration. And that led me to ultra-endurance and some of the crazy endurance feats that I have tackled over the last 10 years. Like Eltula, for instance. Eltula. Well, I have yet to tackle it yet. I don't want <laughs> yeah. to be so bold as to say. No. It's okay. We'll <laughs> publish the interview yeah. after the we'll race. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But I did this race Ultraman a couple times, and uh, that's a double Ironman event in Hawaii. And in 2010, uh, I did this thing called Epic Five where a buddy and I did five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands, and we completed that in under a week. Um, we will touch upon many of the things that you've been just just told us about like later in the interview so uh please bear with me mm -hmm. and um with ultraman that's kind of a segue into Ertelö in a way and swim run in a way because was that where you got in contact with Jonas Kolting because yes. he did ultraman i know I have been inspired by Jonas for many years oh. when i first got interested in ultraman uh I started reading up on it, and Jonas had was a multiple champion in that race, and I was reading articles on Slow Twitch about his experience. Uh, There's some long interviews with him, um, how he prepared for the race, how he tackled it, and so before I ever met him, I was well aware of who he was and his reputation and his um, and his accomplishments in the world of ultra endurance, and have a tremendous amount of respect for what he's done. I did not meet him until. I did the race in 2011 because I did it in 2008 and 2009. He was not competing those years, but he did he did race in 2011, so we were able to meet then. We chatted on the bike a little bit. We swam right next to each other most of the uh, swim leg of that event, and I ended up DNFing in that event. I had a, um, a respiratory infection that took me out of the race, but that was my experience in, in meeting him in person, and I know – um, full well uh, his legacy in in swim run and he's been a big part of inspiring myself and and Chris to entertain the possibility of tackling this and he has won obviously your listeners probably know this but he's he's won Otila a couple times and he raced it in partnership with Gordo Byrne who's also a legend in ultra endurance and has won Ultraman as well and and Gordo has been an inspiration to me uh, 
an equal inspiration to me and, and been a source of quite a bit of information and help, uh, particularly in assisting Chris and I wrap our heads around how we're going to approach this race. And I think um, uh, Jonas is the uh, the only one that has been racing every year, I think. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Chris told me that. He's like, yeah, he races every year, and I, he's racing this year as well. I he's believe, racing together yeah. with his... Uh, his girlfriend or his yeah, wife? Uh, uh, fiance, fiance or, or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. They raced last year as well. So you'll meet him this weekend. Cool, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. <laughs> um, but you'll first, you're, like, you're, you remember your initial thoughts, like... As you heard of Swimrun and uh, Altelo? I do. I remember uh, reading about it for the first time when Jonas and Gordo won it. And I just thought that is the craziest thing. But it sounded so cool because it's so different from triathlon in the, in, the, in the sense that it is really an adventure race and the geography dictates the course. It seemed overwhelmingly challenging and intimidating. But I kind of filed it away in the back of my brain and thought, you know, someday I'd like to do that. That looks like that looks like a good time. Um, and what like it was the uh, the challenge of it that made you sign up for it? Yeah, it was the it was the challenge of it, but also to place it in context. Like I haven't raced in five years, so after two thousand eleven. Um, I really have been focused on trying to build my business. I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And I wrote my book, Finding Ultra, which came out in 2012. And I really wanted to leverage that to figure out a way to create a career that could support my family uh, based on these things that have been so transformative in my life, everything from sobriety to plant-based nutrition to endurance, you know, sports, et cetera. Uh, and so it took many years to try to figure out how I was going to do that in a way that would be financially viable. So I was very focused on that. And I, I remained relatively fit during that period of time. But that's when I started the podcast and you know writing more books and doing a lot of travel for speaking. And like I said, it took years until that became a stable thing. And this year I turned 50. And I thought this is a good opportunity to dip my toe back into this world Um, Not only because I love it and it was so alluring, this challenge, but also because I think at 50, it's an interesting moment in time where I can share uh, not just my experience, but um, some inspiration that at age 50, you can still go out and do these kinds of things. Because the thing that gets me up in the morning isn't like, how fast can I swim or how fast can I run? It's how can I share a message that will be helpful to other people? And if I'm spending all my time training, then I'm not able to podcast and write books and travel. But in the same sense, uh, I think there's something relevant about being competitive at my age that is helpful to other people um, to create a stronger belief in themselves and their own capabilities and potential. Um, And I guess like setting up a goal such as Eotelia is kind of a vitamin boost for your like motivation as well to – like you raised you raised the stakes and you you really have to like put your money where your mouth is and uh, and and uh and and take the training up a notch and so on yeah for sure i mean and I i'm th- not only uh speaking of thinking of you but as a you know like generally speaking but but that goes for you as well i guess yeah absolutely um i think uh my life runs better when i have Uh, structure and structure is fueled by having a goal. Uh, 
and Ötele is a huge goal. And that brought my purpose and my work life and my personal life into laser sharp focus. My wife always says, I like you better when you're training because I'm not only am I regimented, but I'm just happier, you know, and I thought I was remaining relatively fit in the years leading up to this past year, but it wasn't until November when I, when Chris and I set this goal and I started training with some intention for the first time in many years that I realized that I actually had kind of fallen off the wayside. And it took me a good six months before I felt like myself again. And I realized, wow, you know, it requires quite a bit of um, consistent intentionality to, um, to be able to kind of maintain this level of fitness. And I'm really glad that I, there was, there was a couple months there where I was like, I don't know if it's going to come back. Maybe at 50, it's not going to, but I started feeling good again. And that's been really great and something I, I, I want to maintain. But I think at the same time, what comes with that, given like who I am and what I do is there's a level of kind of public accountability as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's great to go on Twitter and everyone's like, you're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. You know, I can't wait to see you crush this race. And I'm like, you don't understand. You know, like I feel a responsibility to the audience, but also I'm trying to be honest and transparent. Like I'm, I'm really here to have fun and that's great, you know, but I feel, I feel that pressure a little bit and I, I guess that's good. Um, and I, I feel, it's gratifying to know that I've helped to spread the word about swim run and Otolo to the world because in the United States, it's not a thing. You know, there's a couple races, but it's brand new. Most people don't know about it. And they're, they're more curious and interested than I originally suspected. Like I do these special podcasts with my coach, and I thought they'd be really niche and not that interesting to the average listener because it's not like my audience is average people. It's not just endurance athletes. You know, it's mostly just – people trying to do a little bit better in their life. And I thought the swim run stuff, I'm going to lose their attention, but they're like super into hearing about it, which has been really cool. Um, but do you, I mean, do you feel affected by the uh, perceived pressure from your from the people that are following you? Like, I don't want to let them down. Or do, do you have There's a like, little bit of that. There's a, Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Like, I think if I was just to like start the race and two hours in, bag it, you know, like that's not, I can't do that, you know, no, but... You know, I've been as honest as I can about about you know the 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 humility with which I'm approaching this. And you know, Chris brought it up on a recent podcast too. It's like, listen, these guys know what they're doing. You know, like we're not, you know, we're, I don't want to be the ugly American strolling into this thinking I know what's going on. I don't know what's going on at all. You know, and and that kind of makes it fun. I I, I like the naivete, and I want to keep it light and and enjoyable. And I've tried to convey that as best as I can. As you as you started this swim run road, uh, did you uh, did you see it as a as a triathlete or as a runner or as a you know just a curious adventurer? A curious adventurer. You know, my first love is and always will be swimming. That's I grew up as a swimmer. That's my strength, um, and and I. I was attracted to the adventure aspect of it because it is so different, and I think that makes it fun. Also, you know, my life's super busy now. I'm balancing my training against so many other um, pressures and commitments. And what makes this a little bit different is there's no cycling. And when you're a triathlete, it's cycling is the thing that takes up so much time. You know, so now just running and swimming, it's a little bit more manageable with my schedule. My training, you know, my preparation hasn't been perfect. I've had a lot of travel that's, you know, bit into um, 
what I would have done ordinarily had I been a single guy living in a hut in the woods. And that's okay, you know, because I think I'm in a place now where I'm not willing to sacrifice um, traveling to go uh, share a healthy message with a group of people for a performance goal. That's just not where my life is at right now. And and I'm at peace with that. Um, I mean, when it comes to all races, probably, but perhaps specifically with the race such as Ertilla, the mental part, the mental preparations are super important. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you feel as far as that goes? Like if you compare like your physical preparations and you compare them with your mental preparations, mm-hmm. like or and also uh, connected to that, what kind of what kind of mindset do you want to wake up to on Monday morning? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the mindset that I want to wake up to on Monday morning is enthusiasm and excitement and also patience. I feel good about my endurance base. Uh, I'm not intimidated by the length of the race overall. I think the challenges for me mentally are, A, the cold water. I live in Los Angeles. It was 108 degrees Fahrenheit the day that I left. I've been training in a desert for a year. (laughs) I swim in a pool a local community pool where they heat it way too hot because most of the people that swim there are elderly and they have like (laughs) exercise classes. So it's like 80 degrees, you know, and then I'm running in 100 degree weather. And even when Chris and I went up to Lake Tahoe to get some cold water acclimation and altitude training, the water was warm and it was like 80 degrees out. We're running around in wetsuits, like sweating to death. I felt like I was preparing for bad water. So I have no experience with cold water and I'm used to competing in Hawaii. Like I'm a warm, warm water warm weather, dry air kind of guy. So that is an unknown for me. Um, And the other thing that I think is different and intimidating is all the gear changes. You know, I'm used to, I'm an athlete that I'm like a locomotive. I start slow, I rev up very gradually, and then I get into a pace and I can hold it all day. That's my strength. Here, the first segment is a 1,200-meter run that I'm sure is going to be a sprint right into a 1,700-meter swim, and everyone's going to be gangbusters, and heart rates are going to be through the roof. And that's how it's going to be all day, up and down, up and down, and that is not my strength. Like being in that anaerobic state is different, and learning how to acclimate and get comfortable with the speeding up and the slowing down and the revving and the surges – um, that is very intimidating and not and and you know not something I have that much experience with. And then thirdly, the transitions, mm. climbing up on the rocks. You know that's where t- you know races are going to be lost and won and made or broken. And I have no experience with that either. And I know just yesterday from talking with the guys when we were doing our swim that the best guys are super facile. They don't stop yeah, for like one they know, second. They know, and they're out there scoping the course. They know exactly yeah. which rock to climb up and which one's mossy and slippery and which one isn't. And, you know, I don't have any of that. And, and also, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but yeah. also raising us that they, what I think when you look at, uh, when you look at these races, like you see the professionals or the, the fast teams, the experienced teams, they race as a team. And if mm-hmm. you're first out of the water and you have, stand on like good ground like stand on solid ground you your like your first instinct should be to turn around and and give your give chris a hand mm-hmm. instead of like focusing on your goggles or whatever right like use that team energy to kind of help, yeah. yeah and to you know a helping hand because that will make his transition easier as well yeah it's going to be the other way around with me though it's oh, going to okay. be chris <laughs> waiting on the rocks for me <laughs> he's a much better 
more experienced athlete than I, to say the least. Um, yeah, and we've only put in one weekend of training together. You know, and, and we go way back and we're friends and I feel like we have good communication, but we haven't placed ourselves in this mm. kind of context or environment. So um, that is going to be new and I'm sure, you know, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But again, that's that's where, you know, I don't – I'm not putting all kinds of crazy pressure on myself. You know, we're going to do the best we can with the understanding that this is a brand new thing for us. Is that also kind of a coming of age kind of thing? Like – Like when it comes to, I don't know, your ego, would it be different if you would have been like, I don't know, more like a young kind of maverick type of guy? Like, uh, did you have a, do you think that you had a bigger ego like uh, way back or something? Maybe. I think when I was in, when I was competing in Ultraman, you know, especially 2009, I was very performance oriented. And had I been tackling... At that time, I probably would have had a different, more laser-focused mindset. But, you know, I'm 50. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like uh, you know, I want to be able to show that you can do well at 50. But again, it goes back to, like, I'm here to, I'm here to enjoy and have fun. And, I, and I'm competitive, you know, and I have an ego and all of that. Um, but that's not really what this is about. I think, if anything... You know, a big part of my motivation is I don't want to disappoint Chris. It's like that um, accountability with your teammate. And he is, you know, Chris is uh, age group Ironman world champion. He's probably done, I don't know how many Ironmans he's done, dozens. You know, I think he's raced at Kona like, I don't know, 11 times or something <laughs> like that. He's swum in two Olympiads. Uh, he never, you know, sort of after his swimming career, he never retired. He went into becoming a professional triathlete and he is unbelievably fit and experienced. So I can't even approach that level of experience despite the fact that I have a bigger plat – like people know who I am much more than they know who he is. He's the master. You know, I'm the student. And, uh, and I think what gets tricky for me is because I have a big profile – Perhaps people um, project onto me that maybe I'm a better athlete or a more experienced athlete than I am. You know, if you go if you Google me, you'll see headlines like world class ultra endurance athlete. Like I don't consider myself a world class you know ultra endurance athlete. I've had a couple good performances, but um, I don't have that kind of experience, and I don't even race that much. You know, I wouldn't consider myself an everyman either. Like I don't think that's fair. I do have a you know robust background in swimming and I was world ranked at one moment in time um, so I'm somewhere in between those two worlds I think <clears throat> not to jinx anything but what could make you feel like less satisfied on as you as you reach the finish line on Monday hmm. I think only if I feel like uh, I didn't try my hardest or um If for some reason uh, I made uh, some mistakes that are were rookie mistakes or things like that, you know, um, or if you know I get separated from Chris somehow and and let him down, you know, like that, uh, I think that would be a bummer. Or you know, I drop out. God for you know, it's I not going to happen. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen, <laughs> but. You know, as long as we can work together and we're communicating well and, you know, we're just sort of out there doing it and, and finish strong, 
you know, then I'm, I'm going to be happy. I mean, I'm here for the experience. Mm, I'm going to try to compare and analyze and kind of try to discuss triathlon versus swim run in a way. Mm-hmm. And if I if I would like generalize a bit, I would say that triathlon is a lot more um, static uh, based on data, for instance. You know, quote unquote, easier to predict. Like, like for instance, Kuna Ironman. Of course, you have mm-hmm. the temperature and you have the wind, but you know the roads. It will look the same, you know. It's it's asphalt and it's uh, curve by curve. It's it's very predictable. And then you have something like swim run, and you have Ertila, which is perhaps a bit more of a adventure race than a than a, a triathlon or something. Um, have you had any? You've already mentioned some, but have you had any like revelations or discoveries of your own, like thoughts around this? Well, I think that's an accurate assessment. You know, in triathlon, it is about the data. It's about, you know, your heart rate monitor and your power meter and uploading those files and analyzing them and trying to figure out exactly, you know, where your uh, aerobic threshold is and what kind of pace you can hold. And there are variables, of course, wind and temperature and the like, but I think it is a lot more predictable. And here in in swim run, the variables are exponentially, you know, uh, expanded, you know. All, I mean, you slip on one rock and crack your head. <laughs> it's like, you know, and that's not out of the realm of possibility for me. Um, you know, it's game over. Like I, I've had two days of experimenting with swimming in a wetsuit and then trying to climb up rocks and figure out what I'm supposed to do with my hand paddles and all of that kind of stuff. Like I, you know, I don't have a grip on it in any kind of real sense. So yeah, the you know one one cold front blowing down from the north, and suddenly the water's forty six degrees Fahrenheit. Like I, if it if that happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, like we were swimming yesterday, it was like sixty four. I was like, this is fine. I know it's not going to be that warm at the race. It's going to be quite a bit colder. But if it's super choppy, if it's really cold, and you know, it's like zero visibility in the yeah. water, it's going to be pitch black. Yeah, all of that's all of that stuff. You know, so again, for me, it goes back to humility. Well, that's what I was aiming at as mm-hmm. well. I mean, I I often say that I really, I really, really enjoy the Swedish winters, and one reason I think, as I've gotten older, one reason that I I think that I really like winters is that it is a very good reminder that humans are not in control. Like we set up these like cozy little. Uh, environments for ourselves with uh, smartphones and whatnot, and then boom comes a cold front and some mm. some snow and wind, and everything is at a standstill. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people, like in a uh, scary uh, pace, are are moving away from that uh, uh, that mindset. And uh, so this could be kind of a you got to stay humble, and uh, maybe uh, it's good for a triathlete to tackle a. Mm-hmm. A swim run once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Also, triathletes are very, you know, they have the blinders on and they're just my data and this is what I'm doing and this is my thing. It's a very uh, individuated sort of endeavor. And swim run, you have a partner, you have a teammate yep. and that changes everything. And I would imagine, and this is 
informed and supported by conversations I was having yesterday, yesterday with the guys. Like the teams that do well are the ones that really know how to communicate and can stay positive um, and are in sync with each other. That is the determining factor above and beyond your, you know, what is your VO2 max and, you know, what is your, you know, anaerobic threshold, et cetera. Um, and also, I like, I think it's very good for, for people to learn how to adapt to something that they can't predict. Mm -hmm. Like you really got to roll with the punches, sort of. Uh, I think that's a good, a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's about that. Um, because, I mean, you're no, you're no stranger to like physical endurance in, 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 in nature and rough terrain. But, um, I also have kind of a, a theory on that um, going back to, for instance, Ironman, it's a race course with easy terrain offers fewer layers of um, mental challenge in a way. Mm -hmm. So I want to... Uh, like you can, you can look upon it in two ways, I think. Either flat terrain will make the challenge even more difficult because you are forced to you can only look inwards like there is zero distractions because you're just on this flat piece your of heads down and you're just exactly right. exactly so either it's more difficult it's just mind and body um whilst like moving through very technical terrain like sky running trail running and swim run it's you can you can let your focus slide to the surroundings instead and and in that way in that matter you can you can kind of fool yourself like because you you don't have the time to think that you're tired because you got to look you know on the loose rocks and uh -huh. and what's beneath you and ahead of you um so can you compare these two perspectives Do you, like, do you know well, where I'm getting at? Yeah, I know exactly where you're getting at. I mean, I, I, I guess I can address it to an extent with the caveat that my response is not informed by my experience in swim run because I don't have any experience. But I would project or imagine, um, you know, based on what you're saying and, and what I can assume, you know, is going to unfold on Monday is that very thing. You know, I, I think in, in triathlon – You're racing against yourself. The environment is certainly a part of the experience. Um, and, you know, at Ultraman, there's crazy headwinds and there's climbs and there's jellyfish in the water. So oh, yeah. to some extent, you are dealing with that, but it's very temperate. You know, it's not – it's not. you're not getting – you're not in a washing machine, you know, in the water uh, getting tossed all over the place and without any ability to see what's five feet in front of you and the like and you don't have to worry about where a teammate is and making sure that you're 10 meters you know within reach of that person uh, you're not climbing up on rocks and all I mean the number of unknowns is just you know infinite so again that allows me to you know tap into that into that humility and appreciation for uh, the lack of control that I will have. Just embrace and, it. And, you know, one of the things you learn in sobriety very early on is that the people that stay sober that are able to achieve and maintain sobriety are the ones who are able to let go of their self-will, to surrender in this kind of spiritual way. 
and understand that their long-term well-being is related to the extent to which they can, you know, release their sense of control over their environment and other people and circumstances. Uh, and I think that's highly applicable to endurance sports, ultra-endurance sports, and, and certainly to swim run, which just ratchets up the volume on all of that. Yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to be control freak, I guess. Right. Going you're, yeah, you're going to make yourself crazy and you're going to spend yeah. a lot of energy and you're going to ultimately end up frustrated because you can't control any of it. Is it easy for you to 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 end up in a state of flow as you as you uh, compete or train in these disciplines? Uh, in training, yes, um, it's very much an active meditation for me. I love it. I think it makes me a better person and a better servant, um, more clean, clear minded, and and more focused, uh, and better in touch with what's important in life. Uh, in terms of Whether I can enter a f some kind of flow state on Monday, I'll let you know Monday night. Probably not, <laughs> you know. Mm. But the preparation for it is 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 very is very um, trance like for me, uh, and uh, it is it is it, and I do all my training alone. You know, Chris, we don't even live. You know, he lives in Northern California. Um, people are always wanting to run or do stuff with me, and that's great. And I like to do that from time to time, but. I really relish and cherish the alone time. Um, it's, you know, with four kids and everything that I do, that's my time to be with myself. And I protect that. It means a lot to me. And, and it is a part of, you know, me. It's a, it's a big and an important part of, of me being the best version of myself that I can be. But is that, uh, that's got to be a kind of a characteristic with you. Um, that you like. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I cherish that inner, like if you compare like an inner adventure to an outer adventure. It sounds super cliche, but still, that's got to be something in you that uh, that made you get into ultra endurance sports in the first place it was the it was the only reason yeah you know I mean I enjoy the physical aspect of it and being fit and all of that but it's always been an inner journey for me it's always been a spiritual journey and you know without putting too um, esoteric uh, 
you know, a point on it. Um, you know, I began this journey for myself mainly because I wanted to reconnect with who I am and, and who I want to be. And the training, um, you know, being able to engage that flow state, that active meditation state has been this incredibly powerful and beautiful template for, um, for expansion and for personal growth. And yeah, I get really fit and, you know, all these other things happen as a result of it. But really, um, it began as, and to this day remains, you know, just this, this way of me trying to better understand myself and my place in the world. And that is, you haven't reached the end of, of that. Of course, you'll never no. reach the end no. of that. And it doesn't matter how I perform in a race. It's how you live your life on a daily basis. Do you have any other like challenges booked or like dreams that you're hmm. scoping out? I just want to get through Monday <laughs> alive. <laughs> Baby That's steps. my main thing. Baby steps. But I will say this. This is not official by any stretch of the imagination, but I have this friend, Maxime Chaya. He's a... He's a legend. Uh, I've interviewed him. Oh, you have? Yeah. You know Max. Yeah. He's great, right? He's fantastic. Such He's a like... Coolest guy. That um, like really sounds super... Uh, uh, like he's got an aura around him. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's like he's vibrant. He's very charismatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I met him. I did I had a speaking engagement in Beirut and I met him there. And he took me up to his house in the mountains behind Beirut, and we went cycling around and just really connected. And this is a guy, your listeners may know this, but you know he's done the seven summits and he's done all kinds of crazy challenges. North and South Pole, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And in in Lebanon, he's like their you know their yeah. most famous adventure athlete. And he wants to do this uh, expedition across the Arabian desert on, on, by bicycle. Yeah. With like, these, like fat, fat bikes. With the fat bikes. Yeah. yeah. And he did one already yeah. with a buddy of his. Um, and he has a second one that he is preparing for right now. And he's trying to enlist me to do it with him. Of course he will. And so, <laughs> so let's yeah, make he it called official. me the other day and all that charisma, you know, was like, just, I was like, <laughs> got me so excited. Um, so we'll see what happens. I told him I would think about it, but that's pretty alluring, especially yeah. after, the Baltic Sea, you know, to go to a desert and do yeah, something from extremes to extremes. Yeah, it could be really cool. And yeah. I, you know, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, for some reason, I have this bizarre karma with the Middle East. I keep getting uh, asked to go back there, and I've, I've visited there many times. And so there's something, um, something that beckons me there for reasons that elude me. But, um, but I think it's important to, to listen to that. There's a, there's some kind of reason behind that. If it was anybody else but Max, I would say no way. But I trust him implicitly, and uh, and I think that could be really cool. So what, we'll see how that pans out. But. Uh, what I really uh, like with him is that um, like his his goal, like he really really wants to add some. He wants to put Lebanon. In a positive way, yeah. In the media and on the map, like not only like when it comes to conflicts and, and bad stuff, he really wants to, like, show the positive uh, parts of it, and that's really, yeah, a I mean, fantastic I've, mission. I think. I've been to Beirut twice, and um, the people there are very proud of their country. And there's a lot of screwed up BS going on there right now. In fact, I was there for the Beirut Marathon. I left the day before. Um, ISIS uh, attacked a neighborhood. That was the day before the Paris bombings, and that got so. 
what happened in Beirut kind of got erased from the news cycle. Mm-hmm. But um, as somebody who had visited there and had literally been proximate to that neighborhood, the neighborhood that got bombed was very close to my hotel. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, I have a, a, an appreciation for how tempestuous and tumultuous it is to live there. And I have an understanding of how kind of messed up, you know, the, the government institutions are. At the same time, everybody that I meet over there just, you know, they, they just, they love it. They want what's best for the country. And, and Max is a, a beautiful ambassador of that. But the fact um, that he stays, like and he's, he's... They can all, yeah, like yeah. I know wealthy people there, they could live wherever and they choose to stay there. Um, Max is also, you know, all about trying to inspire healthy living and in that part of the world. And these are new ideas, you know, in that part of the world. And he's, a, you know, he's able to communicate that in a way where they can, they can hear it, you know. And that's a part of the world where, you know, the United States, the Western developed nations have kind of exported unhealthy lifestyle habits. And they're experiencing diabetes and heart disease and obesity in numbers that are unprecedented in the history of humanity. But they don't have uh, that kind of tradition of fitness and healthy living that, that we have over here. So he's all about that. And to the extent that I could help participate in spreading that message, that's that's a cool opportunity for me. You got to have him in the show. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, when I met him, I was like, I got to get you on the podcast. He listens to the podcast. He's always texting me. I love this interview. I love that interview. <laughs> but like I do all mine live. And yeah. so I was like, we just have to be in the same place yeah. to do yeah. it. Um. What part does nature and the surroundings play in your, uh, like in your mindset as you as you go out on the long hauls? Could you could you go out and run like five hours in a in a city block or? Yeah, I think we have this idea that you know we're indoors right now, or we could go out in nature. But we're always in nature. We're never removed from nature. Mentally, we may be checked out from that fact. And perhaps it's different here in Sweden because the weather is so severe that you're always in touch with it. But in Los Angeles, it's very easy to immunize yourself from nature. You're in your car, you're in your air-conditioned home. Um, But no matter where you are, we are part of this greater ecosystem. And for me, the kind of training that I do um, is a, an active form of appreciation for that. And that applies to whether I'm out on a trail and I don't see anybody for hours and hours and hours of time and I can kind of lose myself in the purest form of nature. Or I'm in Manhattan and I'm urban trail running. And, you know, when I'm in Manhattan, I don't go to Central Park because I have that, I have like nature, that kind of nature at home. Hmm. So when I'm in someplace like New York City or even this morning, I, I went running here. I want to experience the 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 city what the life. city has to offer. So mm-hmm. I will go out without any agenda and I'll just run the streets and sometimes I get lost. I don't I try not to have a map or have a, an agenda for where I'm going to go. I just want to immerse myself and and go where the spirit moves me. And that's nature too. And I have an equal appreciation for that. I I, I mean New York City is like one of my favorite places in the world to run. I just can you're so stimulated by life in its various forms in a way that's so different from being on a trail run. And, you know, I appreciate that as equally as, you know, being uh, alone on a mountain. No, but I think it's it's good to be able to adapt. I myself, I, I find it difficult to run in, in cities, but very easy to run in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. 
But like, I think, you know, like in New York, for example, you're seeing – you're just so stimulated by yeah. so much all the time that oh, you lose true. track of time because you're like, look at that. Wow, look at that. Yeah, look of course, what's going on over there. You know? Like if you go to a place where you don't feel at home, it uh-huh. makes it easier to kind of forget the fact It's that a different you're, kind of adventure. Yeah. Um, and here's a tough one. How would you say that you're what I like to call like generator or reactor? How would you describe it? How does it look like? What does it look like? What is it made of? The 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 part of you that like keeps you moving forward. What gets me up every morning and excited is the opportunity to be of service to other people. And the podcast and the platform that has evolved as a result of that um, has given me a deeper appreciation of what that role is and what it looks like. Um, I don't consider myself to be some inspiring figure. I'm just a guy trying to figure life out just like everybody else. But the truth of the matter is that I do have this audience, and that provides me with an opportunity and also a responsibility to use that platform uh, for the greatest good. And to, so in thinking about it in that context, I see myself as a generator, um, as a catalyzer, as somebody who has the, um, the good fortune of being able to uh, help activate people to self-actualize in a way that perhaps they have overlooked in their life. You know, one of the themes that comes up all the time and one of the things I talk about all the time on my show is – is this idea that we're all sitting on top of vast reservoirs of untapped human potential. That potential may be athletic or it may be something else. But I think we all can agree that we keep our blinders on um, in certain ways in our life uh, because it's comfortable you know, and change is hard. Uh, so to the extent that I can serve as a, as a catalyzer or as an example of somebody who um, – does my best, not always so great, but tries to step outside of my comfort zone and entertain new ideas and and put myself out there uh, in situations that scare me um, and that that has some kind of cascading effect on other people to look at their lives differently and more broadly. Um, that's how I see my role. And, and so I guess that makes me a, a generator more than a reactor. Although when I have guests on my show, I react to them. You know, I'm not I – ho- I host my podcast not as a platform to tell people how they should live or what they should do. Um, I'm curious about how other people have done things in their lives. And so the show is about is about them. And that doesn't mean I always agree with them and I'll react to them, you know, as I see fit. Uh, but to share, you know, share the perspectives and the messages and the inspiration from a wide swath of people and personalities – so that people can take what resonates with them and hopefully implement those lessons into their own life or or not. Would you say that your 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 uh, perception of again both mentally and physically what 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 a person is able to do would you say that your perception of that has this is uh, such a leading question but <laughs> would you say that it has been changing over the years like thanks to both your own performance but also like the people you've met along the way, like, for instance, the people that you've had as guests in your podcast? And, you know, without a doubt. You know, I mean, I've had now, I think, 311 episodes. Uh, and as you know, like hosting a podcast is this 
the greatest scam in the world because it gives you an excuse to call up amazing people who inspire you and, and hoodwink them into sitting down and answering all your questions. And in my case, a lot of my guests become my friends. And, and these are incredibly inspiring people that I'm just so blessed to get to meet. And then they get they they become part of part of my life, and and so my life has changed tremendously, um, for the better. I have con- you know continued to expand imperfectly, of course, um, and and I think that you know yeah the underlying lesson is, you know I've learned that I walk around just like everyone else with blinders. I can always grow. I can always improve. I have areas of potential that I don't want to look at, you know, that are uncomfortable for me. And I think my my honesty about that and my vulnerability mm-hmm. and my authenticity um, allow people to emotionally connect with my show because they can, they can relate on some level. Um, and it gives them permission to feel that way as well and hopefully um, flip that mirror and, and reflect a little bit more deeply. And also, I think you're a, you're a good as a, as a host, you're, you're a good listener as well. You don't mix yourself up too much with the uh with the person that you're having on as a guest. I it's think that's a, that's tricky. good to 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 kind of leave them the Yeah. Space. I think thank you. Um it's a it's a tricky mix, right? Because I for me it's not just an interview. I don't want to let them control the show, but it's also it's not about me and it is about me. So I want it to be an even-handed conversation where we're participating. Um but I don't want to overshadow or overstep them either. And that's been something I've just learned from yeah. doing it so many times. Of course, it comes back to like simple chemistry as well. Like some people, you really right. You're not yeah. going to have an amazing experience with everybody no. <laughs> no. you interview. You I re- I recently listened to uh, your interview with Conrad Anker, uh, which was fantastic, and I I rec- like strongly recommend everyone to to listen to it. Beautiful. Um, and that uh, that's I would say like a good example because his life is such a a long distance from like 99.9% of of the world's population but it's um but still you manage to um like you take out the best in in, in each other in a way yeah thank you um i mean with some people it's just easier yeah. you know and conrad is a amazing human being um very pure and uh and genuine um and obviously magnificently talented and accomplished but at the same time, almost kind of childlike, you know, in his appreciation for nature. And I think that's something beautiful. And, I, I, you know, hopefully I was able to convey my appreciation for that. And I think that comes through. And I, I think what you said about listening is absolutely correct. Um, if you're listening, then you should never, as a host, you should never struggle for the next question. You know, the next question is always baked into the answer. Yeah. If you can just be present. So I try to prepare um, diligently for each guest. But I try to cast aside that preparation. And I have found that the best interviews are the ones where I just show up and and if I'm just in the now, in that moment, um, then you provide uh, the bandwidth for something magical to happen. And you know, I would supplement that, that by saying that for me, it's not about extracting information or facts from the guest. It's about emotionally connecting with them. And if I can find a way to really connect with them, uh, the more deeply, the better, then I trust that whatever information is conveyed secondarily as a result of that will be helpful. But the magic is in the connection. Um, what does a 
a guest need to have in order for you to get like interested in the first place? Would you say that there is a common core, common feeling that you want to explore and circle around? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, it's really just a gut thing. It's very much an intuition. Um, you know, I get messages every day. You should interview this person. Why yeah. haven't you talked to this person? This person's amazing. And, and often I'm I'll amazing. look at them. You should interview yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get that too. Yeah, yeah. You know, generally that disqualifies somebody because anyone who does that, I'm like, that makes them uninteresting to me. <laughs> but, uh, but I would say that that often I get these messages and they'll say, look at this link. This person is incredible. And I'll click on it and I'll be like, that is incredible. That's amazing. But for whatever reason, it's not resonating with me. It's not interesting. It, for what, I don't know what it is. It's some unspoken thing. But when I read about somebody or hear about somebody and something clicks inside me, I just know. And I've learned um, the hard way. Like I used to – if a bunch of people said, you've got to talk to this person and I'm not feeling it and I do it anyway, generally it's flat. You know? So I'm like, no, there's something about my gut and I don't know what that is, but I need to, I need mm. to trust that. And I think also – I've learned that that um, I, you know I'm not interested in trying to convince or strong arm somebody to come on the show, even if they're a super high profile person who I think would be amazing. If they don't really want to be there or they don't really understand what I do or have an appreciation for that, it's probably not going to be the no. It's not going to be thing. a good conversation. They're like, oh, I'm just here. Who is this yeah. person? Why am I? You know, yeah. whatever. Um, you are, as you said earlier, you're. A plant-based do you ever get that people are a bit provoked by your quote-unquote extreme way of living uh-huh or i guess that you know only in the recent years that has changed because like going to like a normal restaurant and order a, a vegetarian or even vegan uh, dish it's not a big thing today right it was Two years ago, or three mm-hmm. years ago, but but so things are changing like super fast. But do you get that? Of course, I get that. Um, I don't think it's extreme. You know, people that do eau de l'eau, they don't think it's extreme, but the average person does. So I guess similarly or analogously, like I don't look at my diet as extreme. I, I look at it as as healthy. I've been doing it for ten years. I love it. I understand that um, it's much more mainstream in a place like Los Angeles than, yeah. than probably here in Stockholm. But I can tell you. There are tons of amazing plant-based restaurants all over this city, and I've already eaten at a couple of them and met some really cool people that are into it. So it is changing. Um, I think that you know people are, are are waking up to the idea that nutrition plays a large role in terms of not only just feeling good um, and performing as an athlete, but in the context of disease prevention and longevity. And there's a lot more to be learned, but I can tell you from my own personal experience that plant-based nutrition restored my vitality, and it's powered me through all these crazy athletic adventures. And and you know, I look at my role in this whole thing as somebody who can go 100% plant-based. I don't eat any animal products in my diet, and haven't for a very long time. And a lot of people will see that as severe or extreme, uh, but they'll also look at Odalo. Oh, I said it wrong again. Oh, it's, it was okay. It Ultraman, Epic Five, all these things is crazy extreme. And I can say, look, I eat 100% plant-based. I do these crazy things that most people can't wrap their head around so that the average person who's 40 or 30 or 50, who's probably watching a little bit too much television and eating too many Cheetos 
and watching too much football and not doing enough can look at me and say, well, if that guy did all that, like at least I can move, you know, 20 percent or 50 percent in his direction. So I want to create that belief, that possibility in, um, in other people. Um, I would say that like these thoughts and theories concerning nutrition and health is, is really a big part of, of the trends within endurance and adventure sports right now. Um, what would you say like are that like from your perspective, what are the big trends as you see now and in the foreseeable future? Uh, in nutrition, you mean? or In, in nutrition and endurance sports. Well, I'll take them one at a time. I mean, in nutrition, you know, nutrition is very, I don't know what it's like here, but in the United States, very emotional. A lot of heated debate, a lot of very passionate arguments. It's almost like politics, and there are camps, and those camps are siloed in their respective yeah. ideologies. And so productive communication between the camps becomes problematic and very difficult, um, which is one of the reasons why I don't get into preaching or telling people how they should eat or should not eat. I'm focused on doing, works what, doing what works for me. Yeah. If people want to talk about, happy to talk about it and to just be an embodiment or an example of this lifestyle. But I don't want to get into muckraking and, you know, casting aspersions on how other people want to do it. But I think there is kind of a little bit of a war going on right now between the plant-based community and you know, what used to be sort of paleo but now has morphed into low-carb, high-fat, and there's a lot of debate around saturated fats and all these sorts of things. And, I mean, if you go on Twitter, it's just insane. You know, and it's like I try to stay out of all of that. Um, I can say that I think eating plant-based is a marvelous, amazing way to eat and live. Not only is it um, disease preventative, it will fuel you through all of your athletic endeavors. I, it's amazing how quickly I can recover um, from all of my workouts and environmentally, it's much more sustainable. It doesn't use the amount of resources or water. You're, you're basically opting out of this factory farming system that is devastating our rainforests and acidifying our oceans and contributing to species extinction. And you know, animal agriculture contributes more greenhouse gas emissions than all of transportation combined. And we're not talking enough about that. So it feels good to live in a way that is not further contributing to that. And and also it's just it, it you know, it's a compassionate way to live. You're not you're not involving yourself in, in the kind of slaughter of all these innocent animals that um that, you know, are sacrificed uh in order for us to like eat the way that we're used to eating. Uh at the same time, you know, I, I it's it's not for me to preach or tell anybody how to live. In terms of changes in endurance sports, um, I think you know it's cool. There's there's a couple swim run races now that are popping up in the U.S. There's one, I know there's one in San Diego, uh, and California North, North swim Carol run. Yeah, I know. there's a North Carolina one. There was one in Maine a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. Um, so you got the bug. So as well. it's starting. Yeah, it's starting. <laughs> I think I think it will grow as you know, as people look for the thing beyond triathlon. Like, I think it's probably a great haven for a lot of burned out triathletes to do something different and fun and new. And I like how the geography dictates the course. Like an Ironman is an Ironman wherever you go. Mm. And that course is going to be different, but it's always going to be 140.6, right? And, and swim run is completely contingent upon um, 
the locale. And I think there's something cool that that you know is adventurous and, and awesome about that. And there's no age groups. Yeah, you have mixed the teams. Groups, like the team and, thing is yeah. huge. You know, yeah. all of that. It's it's you know it's just a further iteration and evolution uh, of endurance. And I think that that's cool. And you know, at the same time, you're seeing an explosion in ultra running um, that's happening as well, which is obviously very adventure based. Um, at the same time. Ironman and, and and marathoning has never been bigger. You know, it's like these races just sell out. They're like crazy. But I think people are looking for, okay, what's next? What's next? What's the new thing? So that would be the next question. What kind of emotions or experiences do you think people are looking for? I think people are looking to feel alive. You know, I think people are looking to feel vibrant and connected with themselves and the world. Um, you know, most people, you know, Henry Dirt, Henry David Thoreau said it best, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what is considered resignation is confirmed desperation. And I think it's a very prophetic, astute assessment of mankind, of humankind. It was appropriate then and, and perhaps more, even more appropriate now. You know, a lot of people are living lives and working jobs that are not fulfilling. They're sitting in cubicles, they're working nine to five, or they're working seven to nine, or whatever it is, and they're living for the weekend. And this is not the natural state of man. What it does is it disconnects us from not just ourselves, but our environment, and leaves us, um, I think, deeply dissatisfied and confused about what life is really about. And I think adventure sports and endurance sports is a way of 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 reconnecting um, that cord, of allowing people to um, engage in something that is primal, that I think is deeply woven into the fabric of our DNA. And like I said at the outset, for me, it's been a template for that exploration. And so on a surface level, you can chalk it up like, I just want to get fit again. I want to like challenge. I want to beat my buddy. I want to raise money for charity. But I think there's something deeper that's going on that maybe we don't talk enough about, but I think is really the driver. And that is this deep dissatisfaction with life um, premised on a culture that is overemphasizing um, professional gain and material accumulation with the built-in uh, – implied promise that these are the things that are going to make you happy, that big flat screen TV or the new car or the better apartment or the promotion or the summer vacation or whatever it is. And we're missing the point. The point is to be as engaged as we can with our lives and our bodies and our fellow man as deeply and as profoundly as we can on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis. And I think things like swim run um, provide the opportunity to remind us of that. It's like breaking the curse of the overprivileged Western society, mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I live in, you know, I live proximate to Hollywood. I know a lot of fancy people who have a lot of money and great houses and really cool stuff who are profoundly unhappy, profoundly. And it's a funny thing because we all sort of get that intellectually. Like we know, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. We know that. But somewhere deep down in the back of our mind, we're like, yeah, but like 
if I can get that Tesla, yeah. it'll be good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like we, or it's the same thing with death. We're like, yeah, I know everybody dies, but like deep down, we're like, yeah, maybe that's not going to happen yeah. to me. You know, so it's a reminder. Um, I would say that I'm guessing that you are a person that many people are like they look up to you and like are jealous and or envious of you but what kind of people or are there any type of people that you are envious of hmm. well first i would say you know i don't get a lot of like sort of hate on social media i'm sh i'm sure there are people are there are plenty of people out there that resent me or what i mean you know also as like this spokesperson for endurance sports that i become like <laughs> i'm not that accomplished you know it's like i've never won a race you know there's people who who would better carry this mantle but for whatever reason circumstances have evolved that that you know here i am so i'm sure there's a lot of people who are like why is he the guy who's talking about this stuff i'm not on the direct receiving end of 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 much of that i get it from time to time Um, but I'm aware of it, and I think, uh, you know, I think envy and um, jealousy; those are low vibrating emotions. Yeah, but also, so, I, I mean, I mean, this is uh, me not having English as a mother tongue. What I mean is, I would like uh, my perception is that en being envious, like, look, I mean, look up to, not oh, okay. being like I Different, don't want I you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I don't want As this person to have to this life. Yeah, I don't want that uh -huh. person to have it. I want me to have it. But mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't mean it like that. I mean it like this is something that I strive for. Like, right. Uh, I got you. That's uh, different. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it, it takes the negative connotation out yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. Like I was talking with my wife the other day, and we're like, you know, we, I have to stop and go. Wow, we get to live this amazing life. You know, and we suffered for a long time to be able to create it. So it's not like we just woke up and it was delivered to us. Like we went through like seven years of very difficult financial stuff and it all worked out in the end, but it was very touch and go for a while. And so, you know, I'm very appreciative of the role that I get to play right now. And it's not lost on me that I'm very privileged to be able to do what I get to do and, and, and you know, have this life where I get to like do what I like, you know, it's amazing. It's just, it's such a gift. And so for years as a lawyer, I was like, how do I get out of being a lawyer? I, I don't know how I'm ever going to like escape this thing that I don't want to do anymore. And it, it, it took way longer than I ever thought, but I know what it's like to feel that way. Um, and I, and I understand that I get to carry that frequency for other people. Um, And my job is to try to help them find whatever it is inside of themselves to create their version of what I've got to experience. So that's part of, you know, part of my part of my mission in terms of like who I look to, who's aspirate. I mean, I wouldn't trade my life with anybody's. Like I'm doing exactly like if I won the lottery and won millions of dollars right now, I would still do what I'm I would do exactly the go same racing thing I'm doing Monday. right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I would like build a cool podcast studio or like do other stuff that I can't financially afford right now. Like not to buy fancy stuff, but just to like I wouldn't, you know, I'd live still live in my house. Like I don't want for anything. And I think when you're really engaged in your life and you're really happy doing what you're what you're doing. You're not looking around going, oh, I wish I had that better car. Or I wish I had this or that because you're, you're so engaged in your life. And I remember being very unhappy in, in my life, making good money. And all I thought about was like 
material things like I need this, I need that, I need that. But when when you're really tapped in and 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 enjoy how you're spending your time throughout the day, that kind of vanishes. So I don't I don't aspire to have anybody else's life, but I glean um, inspiration from you know a lot of my podcast guests. Like how are they living their life? Like how can I apply what they're doing to my life to make my life like uh, tweaking a bit better? Tweaking yeah, a like, bit. like small tweaks, and yeah. it's. It's a you know it's a process. It's 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 something that's always evolving and changing. So, what do you see like in the future for yourself? I don't have like some five year, ten year plan. Um, Take it as it comes. Yeah, I mean, well, I have you know I have things that like I want to. There's a couple of books that I want to write, and you know perhaps a couple more endurance challenges. Um, I'm really just enjoying what I'm doing right now, and I'd like to continue to grow the podcast. And when I when I look at what I do, like whether it's books or speaking or the podcast, or they're all just different distribution platforms for essentially a similar message. I want to continue to expand the bandwidth of those distribution platforms. I'm not like doing the podcast so that one day I get a TV show, but I want to. I have this audience now, and I'd like to continue to serve that. And grow it, you know, responsibly, as long as I get to maintain the integrity of of what I'm doing. So, uh, like I said, I don't want for anything to the extent that I get to wake up every day and do what I do. I want to be able to continue to do that. Um, as I continue to grow, though, I would like to get more support and staff to better institutionalize what I'm doing, so that I can um, do more and reach more people. Rich Roll, thank you so much for taking your time. Thank you for having me. Best of luck on Monday. This was great. I loved it. It's awesome. We can keep talking if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to be at the race on Monday? I'll be working. You're going to be working? I'm going to be working with the organization. Oh, okay. But not not on location? Oh, yeah. Are you going to be there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there. So, like, if if I – not if when I see you come Monday, like Monday afternoon, Uh and if you don't – if Monday you don't look, if you don't look dead or or dying, <laughs> yeah, I might I might pop up the uh, with the old Zoom okay. and uh, ask for a comment. Sounds good. Of your day. Hopefully, I can talk still and I'm alive. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> this is super fun. Thank you. So now I will just try to get rich online. Sure, man. Let's do it. Um. So do you? Uh, you remember the first thoughts that went through your head as you woke up on last Monday before the race? Well, my first thought was, uh, I mean, I didn't sleep very well. I feel like I only slept like an hour. I was so nervous about the race. So my first thought was, oh man, I I didn't get a very good sleep. Like I don't feel great. You know, I don't have good energy but this is happening <laughs> looked out the window and the wind was howling and the rain was coming down and uh you just was like okay let's go do it like you just have to get into that mindset you know you, yeah. you you shut down the thinking brain and all that chatter that tries to talk you out of whatever and you just <laughs> you know um were you I mean, I was going to ask you, was it was it anything like you, you expected it to be? But I kind of guessed that maybe it both was and it both wasn't. But, you know. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, there's certainly plenty about it that was exactly what I expected it to be. 
Um, and there were so many other unexpected uh, uh, aspects of it, you know, and I think the biggest one being just how technical the the course was. Like I knew it would be bushwhacking and all that kind of stuff, but I had no concept of just how uh, difficult and um, and technical the running the running course would be. I mean, the whole thing was an obstacle course. Like I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that going in. I thought there would be segments of that, and then it would kind of open up, and you'd just be trail running. But I didn't realize that you know literally you're just climbing and slipping and yeah, all of that. like, like most, the, the scrambling <laughs> part of it. Yeah. And I was not prepared for that. Like I didn't train for that. I didn't think about that. And and when it turned out that that was most of it, <laughs> I realized I was in big trouble. Yeah, I mean you are a very experienced swimmer, but of course the 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 weather played an, a kind of a big character during that day, uh, which made the, the a lot of the swims very very spectacular and very special. Were you ever afraid, like if only for a second? Not really. I'm really comfortable in that environment. Uh, even in the, the pig swim for me was the highlight of the whole experience. I mean, that was where I felt the most comfortable and the most, the most excited and just the most just thrilled that I was part of this adventure because it was so extreme. And that doesn't really make me nerd like all the swells and all of that like i'm comfortable with that i know as long as i can see that beacon every four or five strokes and, and i'm not swimming towards the wrong island <laughs> i can just relax and and i don't you know i don't try to fight the current you know I, i it's like i'll get to the other side eventually like let's just enjoy the fact that you're literally in the middle of the baltic in the most insane conditions <laughs> ever and this is never this will probably never happen again and like appreciate it because yeah. it's so extreme and i just thought this is unbelievable like this is exactly like when i wanted a crazy adventure like this is what i was getting it you know delivered you know right then and there and i had i was able to like really be present with that and appreciate it. So despite the fact that it was so bananas, like I, I love the swimming parts and, and that was my, you know, that was my favorite aspect of the whole day. And, and also the fact that you were not alone, you had Chris there and you had like other competitors, other teams, and you had the safety boats and the media boats. So it was kind of controlled within con uncontrollable sub, um, situation in a way. To an extent. I mean, but, but, I would say that, you know, particularly during the pig swim, you know, I would look I would look up and maybe I'd see one boat and then every couple minutes I would maybe catch a glimpse of one other swimmer like Chris and I got separated a little bit. And and it's very easy to get disoriented. So I didn't feel like, oh, there's all kinds of people around and all kinds okay. of boats. And even though these boats are pitching, it'll be fine. Like there were moments where I was like. I felt alone out there. Like I could kind of see a boat and then every once in a while when the swell was on the lull, I could see the, the, the beacon, you know, blinking, but there were plenty of times where I was like, am I going the right direction here? You know, like, yeah. uh, so there was a sense of, of, of like aloneness or like, you know, solitary being, being solitary out there. Um, I mean, during our conversation in the in the previous part of the interview, we talked a bit about like being 
distracted by nature and being distracted by unpredictable nature to kind of take off your mind, take your mind off the fact that you're physically fatigued or whatever. <laughs> Did you ever experience that? Or was it just like an emotional and physical roller coaster? I mean, it was, it was both. I would say it was more physical and emotional roller coaster than, oh, let's stop and appreciate the beauty because I was suffering. I think Chris, you know, look, Chris is so much more experienced than me, so much fitter than I am. And, you know, I was the limiting factor in our, in our, in our team. So he was, you know, sort of functioning at a lower grade of output, much lower grade of output than I was. So he was able to appreciate it, I think, a lot more because he was having a good time because, you know, he just couldn't go any faster because I was slow. So he was always smiling and like, look at that and look at that. And we saw Fox, you know, we saw cool oh, wow. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, but also like when you're in that, you know, it's hard when you're in when you're suffering to like kind of still appreciate like you can appreciate it in retrospect. But in the moment, there were times where I felt like I even said this to Chris at one point, I said, you know, we could have just been going back and forth between two islands the whole time. <laughs> I would not know the difference, like, because it starts to all look the same, you know. Uh, but were you ever, uh, were you ever able to find, like, to get into kind of a steady pace, kind of a steady flow, or was it just like rushes up and down all the time? I mean, we were, you know, I, I thought that that was what would happen when we hit the 13 mile run, the long run. Yeah. Um, but I was so beaten up from all the obstacle course you know, <laughs> stuff before that, that I, that I wasn't able to run the way that I planned. Um, I mean, we, at the very, the last three kilometer run, I felt like I finally found my running legs uh, and we were able to open it up. But, um, but yeah, I struggled. I struggled with being able to just open it up and go, you yeah. know, that was, And that was what, you know, I was kind of banking on with my training that would, when we finally got open terrain that, you know, I feel, I feel confident in my fitness and my ability to, to kind of run. But, yeah. but I just didn't, I didn't know that the other parts of it would beat me up so badly. So any, any words or, and, and thoughts to anyone curious of, of swim run? Um, yeah, it's just, it's. It was a magical, beautiful, punishing, extraordinary once in a lifetime experience. Uh, you know, I loved every aspect of it. I think, you know, when you're looking for, if you're looking for an adventure race, I mean, this delivers and then some. Um, I will say that it is not for the, the meek or the faint of heart, at least, you know, this course. Uh, I know from doing my podcast and, and kind of being on social media with this, that there's a lot of people who are like, I'm doing this next year. I'm doing this next year. And I'm, <laughs> or I'm like, okay, well maybe you should, that's great. But like, let's just take a moment here, you know, so that you really appreciate like what is actually going on here. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to explore this world. Uh, but I think in order to toe the line at, at you know, that particular race, um, requires a certain um, level of intense, prolonged, uh, and specific focus that perhaps uh, most people, myself included, uh, may be underestimating. Do you see yourself trying out more swim runs in the future, like in the U.S. or whatever? Yeah, sure. I think that uh, that um, one of the things that's cool about about having done that race and then sharing it on my podcast and having that New York Times article being written about it is that it kind of puts Chris and I in this role of uh, of ambassador in the United States oh, yeah. for this 
support on some level. And so I, I think on some level, I feel a responsibility to that. Like I have an opportunity to introduce this sport to the United States. And, and there are, you know, I'm, I'm not the only one, of course, there are people producing these races and organizing them and you're seeing it grow. And, and that's really cool. So yeah, I would like, I know there's one in San Diego and there's one in Maine and, and uh, one in North Carolina. So I'd be very keen to, uh, you know, check those out and, you know, be a part of the birth and, and growth of this sport here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, thank you so much again for taking your time. Uh, this section doesn't really have to be that long because you and, and, and Chris made an excellent like a post-race episode where you uh, went through all your emotions and thoughts and experience from the Ertelea race, and which it was a fantastic episode that I really, uh, really uh, encourage everyone to listen to. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Chris is and so... And so also, and also good, good work with the race, of course. <laughs> Thank you. But I would say, yeah, Chris is so eloquent and poised and, um, and thoughtful and, and articulate about... Yeah. And man, his voice—he's got a fantastic radio voice. You just want him to like to keep talking forever, <laughs> like t t just tell me something. <laughs> I know, it, or, or yeah, it's like it, it really is kind of amazing, right? I'm not even sure he really understands it, understands like how unbelievable it is. But everybody, you know, I get so much feedback from people who are like, "Man, that guy is just let him talk." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Rich, thank you so much and, and best of luck with your future endeavors, like with the book and, and now with your brand new swimmer and career. Ah, yes, thank you so much, Magnus. It's been a pleasure yeah. getting to know you and thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries. See you soon. Ciao. Right, cool. Bye-bye. You can also find Husky at huskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. The music is made by Joel Mull. number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or 
or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.